0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to round ten of Don the Stats uh, Gluttons for Punishment. Here we're back for another week, uh, and yeah, despite all that's been going on, looking forward to um, yeah, what's always a big game against the Tigers and, and dream time at the G. So um, my co-host in Hume is just about to jump on. Hume, how are you, mate? Look, you know, I think it's been a, it's
1: been a hard week. We were all a bit shocked and disappointed by what we saw on Saturday night, and I think there's been a good, a lot of good uh, venting and and chance to really, really let the emotion out of, of what happened. Uh, you know, a few days, one of the advantages of doing this show, uh, a few days apart, is you can you can start to look at it with a bit more, a bit less emotion, and you know a bit more analysis in terms of what's going to happen. Not not to say that we're going to be pleased with what's happening, but. We're going to have a bit of a detailed look at what what they're actually trying to achieve
0: this year and what that means going forward. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Yeah, it has been a big bake, And look, we, as uh, people that have sort of jumped on in early rounds will understand that, that you know, you and I started this because we're, um, you know, we're sort of footy nerds. We we love the statistical and the analytical side of... Um, of of footy and, and we very much wanted to talk a bit more about that and um and you know we didn't start this to, to sort of talk about the things that are happening off the ground and you know I, I broke my cardinal rule a couple of times in the last week I, I gave a tip last uh, last week when we did this leading into the Swans game and we promised that we wouldn't do that um, and that backfired on me and then I think this week definitely um, on on Twitter especially the emotion of um, of of the week got the better of me a couple of times and, and I fired off a couple of things. But, you know, I think, you know, the large reason that I stay away from that kind of stuff is because footy I can and what happens on the ground I, I can court, kind of make sense of, you know, even though I'm, I'm not directly involved or, or, you know, in the box like I was many years ago, I can watch a game and see what happens on the field and, and see the good and the bad out of it and kind of rationalize what I'm seeing. The, the stuff off the field, uh, not not so much. So, I, yeah, I typically try and steer clear. But um, and you know, there's, there's plenty of people having their say on those off-field issues and and on social media and other podcasts. And you know, I think that's really good. It's healthy most of the time. Um, I, I think it's an important discussion to have. But it's just not sort of us and, and what we're here about. But I guess this week it has been really hard seeing people that, that have a real deep love and passion for the club and, you know, myself included feeling quite disenfranchised. My my dad's a, a life member of uh, – he's actually the only um, still living member of uh, – life member of both the Essendon Football Club and Cricket Club. And, um, you know, even he's starting to feel the pinch a little bit and feeling disenfranchised. And, you know, for someone who who's given so much of his life to, to the – I guess the Essendon Sporting Club's um, – yeah, that, that's really tough to say. So, um, yeah, I kind of get it. And and I think just to, to talk quickly about the elephant in the room and, and the reappointment of Xavier Campbell, whether it's the right or wrong decision, I suspect most people have a pretty um, similar view of it. Um, I, ultimately, the end result at the end of our five-year plan or strategic plan cycle is going to determine whether that appointment and, and his appointments and his tenure have been a success or not. The bit that was most, um, I think, offensive to me is the fact that it's been leaked through the media and it's been hidden. I think, you know, from the board's perspective, I would have really loved for them to just show some really strong leadership. They promised they were going to do that. Um, Brasher, you know, was really forceful in the way he communicated at the start of last season or prior to last season. And we really haven't heard much from him since. So, you know, if he's your man, come out and say it. Own the decision. Um, Ask for the fans to get behind it. And, um, and go from there. Certainly don't go about things the way that they did. So, yeah, mate, from my my perspective, that's, um, yeah, the bit that sort of got to me the most. But anyway, we've said our piece. Should we move on and get back into standard regular programming?
1: That's it. So let's let's get on to the Sydney game. Now, I had the pleasure of uh, watching this game at the Rising Sun in South Melbourne. So as you can imagine, I was, I was quite outnumbered. And, you know, I, I, copped, I copped a little bit at the start, but I think by... Sort of halfway through the second quarter, there was it was a bit more pity than than abuse. So, I in some ways that's actually worse because it, it suggests that they don't see you as an actual actual challenge. Which, judging by the way Luke Parker reacted uh, to some of the players, you know that may be a more of a at least a club wide thing for Sydney and and maybe even a competition wide, which is something that needs to be addressed. But we we had three points coming into the Swans game to, to keep the three Swans tools accountable and isolate Jake Lloyd as a defender. Uh, given the ball barely got down there to our forward line, uh, it it probably was hard to, to demonstrate whether that was a, a win or not and probably
0: wasn't. Uh, what were your thoughts there? Um, yeah, well, I think, mate, we can probably uh, apply um, a bit of a generalist comment to there. And, you know, from... From the outside looking in, I, and we're going to talk about what our game plan or, or what we think it is in a little bit, but it doesn't really look like we go to work on the opposition. I think our, our coaching group seem to be very single-minded in their view and, and they try to to win the game by implementing the game style that we want to play and they're not adding too much flexibility in that to counter the opposition. And look, that might be just because of the, the age and the inexperience of the group. Potentially, um, or it might just be that there's a real confidence. I'll sort of laugh when I say that because how could you be too confident in things at the moment? But a, a confidence that, that we've got the right plan in place. We just need to work through the current period. But, um, you know, other than, um, you know, sort of Francis on Sicily against the Hawks, we saw McGrath go to Petraca against the Ds and then and went to him, uh, went to Degoe at stoppages on Anzac Day. I can't think of many examples where we've really gone to work on the opposition and tried to counter the way they play. And the most disappointing thing for me on that one is the Suns really showed a way forward the week before and were really forceful at the contest, really went to, to work in the contested ball and um, and created really good separation for their forwards uh, at the SCG as well. So, you know, same ground, same opponent, and um, and we really didn't look to do anything to try and counter too much of what the Swans try and do.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to. That's just something I want to. I want to talk about about when we, we move on from the swans. But you know, I think one of the one of the things that we we did suggest was to win contested ball and back our kids against their kids. I'm not sure a game that completely worked out. And I think one of your uh, one of your predictions on that sort of blew up in your face a bit. But uh, just just want to make note of uh, Ben Hobbs, particularly. You know. Really cracked, really cracked in. showed showed a lot of, of what he's going to bring in the future. Uh, there were a couple of moments where Archie Perkins, you know, played played above his ears in terms of being able to keep his feet and and really thinking things through. And I thought uh, Reed, you know, given given the amount of ball that came down there, again, you know, demonstrated quality and, and someone that's going to be a ten year player for the club
0: there. Yeah, yeah, you're right. man. I think when you have a season like we do. Um, and, and you know, obviously, finals and, and those kind of things are no longer on the table. You you kind of hope and and work around finding some players that are going to take you forward. And I think you know Perkins obviously played a lot of games last year, but we've introduced Hobbs and Reed to the team as well this year, and, and they both look like they're going to be long term prospects for us. So yeah, I think if if we can get another you know dozen or so games into those guys um, as well as a few others, you know Durham and. And Nick Martin, who's obviously been a great find, then um, you know, we we set ourselves up to to hopefully go bigger and better in 2023. That's it.
1: So we, we are doing things a little bit differently tonight because obviously the big the big issue come out of come out of this week, other other than the ones that have been highlighted in the media, is about how how the game is working, and, and there's been ructions about the game plan. I, I saw tonight that. Uh, there's suggestions from Sam McClure that they've scrapped the game plan and they're going to go back to what worked last year, and we, I just want to ha- I just want to go through a few things there. I posted a long thread on Twitter a couple of days ago, sort of reflecting on where the club was in 2018. And so in 2018, you know, we came off like like this year. We came off a we came off this sort of successful year. We we went to the finals when we weren't expected to. We did have a, a major elimination final loss, uh, and then what happened there was that the, the coach, the coaching staff realized that in order to compete in finals, you needed to change the way it was played. You know, the, the, style, the style of gameplay would, would work, you know, 50, 60% of the time in regular season, that'd get enough wins to get to finals. But then you would have a situation where you get to a final, a finals atmosphere, a finals hardness, and the game plan wouldn't stand up. And we, we've seen that happen, you know, most of our finals appearances in the past decade and a half have, have not been, you know, anywhere near good enough. And so what I what I what we saw at the start of 2018 was they were trying to they were trying to start try to do something different. They were trying to be more defensive, more hard at it. They brought in they brought in the three s's. They brought in Sad Smith and Stringer to integrate into that game plan. And you know, at the same basically at the same point before last week, both in both years. So 2018 we were two and six again. This year, we were 2-6 going into the Swans game. And so, they're in a similar situation. And so, it's after, it's after round eight that Essendon sacked Mark Neild, and they started to play a bit differently. You know, they went back a bit to what worked before, and that got them to within striking distance of finals. They got them to the same wins as they did the previous year. But it didn't embed a winning structure into the team, a winning game style. That would stand up against the best teams consistently and would stand up in the finals atmosphere. And so, for me, that decision to sort of give in to the media criticism, give in, give in to the fan pressure, and I, th- I think from from just sort of reports that you hear, give into, give into the players. You know, tell tell them they didn't have, they could just go back to playing the way that they would prefer to. Hasn't, has just led to to the side treading water for another four or five years, and I feel like we're in a similar position now with the media pressure with the way the players are responding to the game plan that if we decide to go back to what worked before then we're just going to tread water for another 4 years until we until Rutten gets sacked they bring in someone new and go from there so what I, what I tend to think now Rutten Rutten was headhunted he wasn't he didn't go through an interview process we haven't gone through a proper interview process since Knights was Knights was appointed and so that in itself can be a concern However, he is, he is he is highly rated. He did come from a successful system in Richmond. We now have Josh Marnie, who set up the Melbourne Melbourne coaching structure and the system, observing our program. My view, there has been a lot of there been calls all everywhere to sack Rutton, and you know he's he he can't coach and the like. My view is that if Josh Marnie, who who set up a successful system and wasn't involved in selecting Rutten, believes that Rutten is the correct choice to coach the side, then Rutten needs to be given enough time to see his vision come, come to through. And the club has to be strong with the players being honest with the fans about what expectations are for the next couple of years because it could be a bad couple of years before the game plan clicks. Now, there was a really interesting interview from uh, Alex Neil Bullen on SEN a couple of days ago. It, it came up on, on Twitter for me and he was talking about how long it had taken... The Melbourne players to learn their game plan before it becomes instinctive. And he was talking about, you know, a two or three year process before everyone in the everyone on this in the side could understand exactly what they needed to do. It became an instinctive thing in terms of structuring the ground and defensive pressure. And what that meant is that once you establish that instinctive nature for defense and instinctive nature to set up the ground a particular way that you want to do, then the instinct comes in. What I think is happening a lot, and one of the reasons why one of the reasons, I think there's other reasons behind that a lot of the players look a bit you know, hesitant, they look a bit they struggle to get the the effort required to tackle and do, do the defensive things as they're so focused on trying to play a structure that's not instinctive, it's, it goes against what they've been doing and so they spend they have to spend mental energy thinking, oh okay now I need to be in this position, now I'm meant to go here and that's clashing with their natural instincts and I so, so it's a long way of saying I think they should stick the course at least till the end of the year. Review at the end of the year, but this sort of this sort of structure and game plan is going to take time to embed, and you have to be prepared to wear some some bad losses while the players learn. Now the problem, the potential issue with that is you, you lose some players. Some players say oh, I don't want to play like this, and they want to move on. I think at at this stage we saw what hanging on to Danaher and, and Fantasia. You know that didn't really work out if a player is not prepared to play in the system and and, and the coaching staff and, and the, the leadership above them trust that the system potentially can work, then they have to let those sort of players go. Sorry, that was very long very long from me, but I don't know what your thoughts are there.
0: Yeah, no, I think you've, you've made a lot of really good points, mate. Uh, the one bit that... So I, I agree wholeheartedly. I, I, I think the bit that concerns me is whether or not, at the moment, Ben Rutten has the... The support and structure around him to to really weather the storm when it comes, and I think we saw a good example with the the way we handled the Dylan Shield dropping scenario. So he was he was dropped, then he was sub, then he and then he played, and and that that screams to me that we've that either we've sort of folded a little bit to media pressure, and we sort of half dropped him when we really didn't want to, or or he's dropped him and then hasn't really had the support of the people around him to to, to kind of ride that decision, whether it was sort of le- player-led or it was other factions within the, f- the football department or the, or the CEO or, or whoever might be involved. And he sort of backflipped a little bit. So I, I think you're right, but to to weather the storm and, and do the things that, that you're suggesting, which I, I wholeheartedly agree is the right way to go, we're going to just need some to get some really strong leaders around them uh, around the coaching group, um, and and make sure that that they're confident that that they can carry on through their plan and they're going to be protected. So um, I, I don't think we've got that that structure around them right just yet. But, and you know that's one example, but there's probably a few more. You know, Devin Smiths obviously put his hand up to play the Hawthorne game in a time of need. Then he you know, but he was going to do a mini preseason. He's back in the side this week. So there's just some things that. That kind of don't quite add up to to suggest that that everyone who's making decisions is is on the same page. So hopefully we can sort that out, and then and then yeah, everything else you said is completely right and valid. Absolutely. So I mean, given given what we've just said there, let's let's do a deep dive into the game
1: plan and what they're doing before we do before we do a deep dive into what they're doing now. I think it's really important to reflect on what came before. So what what the game plan was in 2021 and what the structural changes in terms of the, on terms of the players
0: has meant for that. Yeah. I, yeah, this is my view of it. Obviously I'm, I'm not uh, proclaiming here that I know everything. I I said this, I think in the first week, I I don't have inside mail or I'm not interested in having um, that kind of line of communication. So this is just my, my view of things um, and, and how I see it. Um, and the Neil Bullen interview, which you referenced, is a really good listen, and and we'll post the the Twitter link to that afterwards. But I think even if you think back to our club, it's going back a, a while ago. But in the build-up to 2000, we um, we lost a prelim in 1996 to the Swans by a point, and and from 90 from that prelim to the 2000 grand final, only 10 guys that played in that prelim um, uh, went on to to play in that premiership side so and it is a lot different rebuilding and redeveloping a, a list and a game plan from a position of strength and um, that you know that's very different to where we are you know post Wersfeld and, and you know we obviously also had Heard and C.D. Lloyd and Long and McCurry and those guys running around still so it, it was different but we, we dropped to 14th in 1997 because we had some player turnover so we lost some experience in, from that 1996 side and then we also had a lot of injuries and you know, it just shows that you can. You, I think people get a bit sick of hearing the Melbourne example, the Richmond example. They can do it. Um, so I just tried to to bring this back to an essence example, and I think it just it's a good indicator that if things don't click, you have some injuries, you lose some senior players. That that even a side that that made a prelim and had Heard and Mercedi and Lloyd and these guys in you know, it can can drop pretty quickly. And we finished, I think, third last in in '97. And then we bounced back to eighth, and we had the marshmallow final against North. Um, and then, you know, obviously did another mini rebuild by build, bringing in some some strength and bigger bodies before bouncing back. In and you know, we know what happened in '99 and 2000. So, yeah, I think that sort of reinforces the the fact that these things do take time, and we're obviously rebuilding from a very different situation to what we were back then. But I think just to to I guess reemphasize that. We have had some significant changes to our list in the last two seasons. So at the end of 2020, Bell Chambers retired, McKenna went home, Danaher, Fantasia Fantasia, and Sardal went to other clubs, as you mentioned. We also lost McKernan and Townsend. And whilst they had, I mean, McKernan played some good footy for us, Townsend had a a pretty limited impact. But they were experienced players and and Townsend was a a premiership player and he made other guys walk taller. He was a tough hard body. You know, he had some of the qualities that we're lacking at the moment. Um, and then at the end of 2021, Hooker and Ambrose retired. I, you know, I get a sense that Hooker probably got pushed a little bit more than, than maybe he would have liked. Um, and Gleeson and Zacharias, Zaharakis were delisted, obviously very experienced players. So they all walk out the door and only really Jake Kelly and Peter Ryder played 60-odd games, but, you know, barely played a game for a couple of years um, at the Sun. So we haven't had much experience come back in. And then we have a new game plan under a new coach and a lack of experience on the list. And, again, it, back to the point I made at the start, it's one of the things that I'm disappointed on the club because I think the rhetoric has hung um, been Rutten out to dry. And, I, you know, I'm not excusing the performance or, or our results. We haven't been anywhere near good enough, but we preached a message of uncapped ceilings. And, and I think when you get rid of so much experience and you bring very little back, your ceilings actually are capped. You know, there's you shouldn't be I don't think selling a message of, of um of that. I think it should have been we're we're changing a lot, this is a new group, we're gonna implement a new game plan, there's gonna be bumps in the road, but we're committed and you know, so on and so forth. And then I think you take that a step further, you had injuries this year to Hurley, Stringer, Langford, Waller's been unavailable, Merritt missed a couple, Smith, Francis, Stewart, Snelling, you know, we're we're not at a point in our redevelopment. That we uh, when we've got a young team learning a new game plan that we can afford to have our most experienced players out because they're the on-field coaches and the on-field teachers, um, and when you don't have many to begin with, um, you know it becomes really hard. And you know, and then you know Jones has been out and, and things as well. So, um, so yeah, I think a, a lot has changed in terms of personnel. And then and then beyond that, I think we've um, we've changed how we how we've defended this year from last year. Yeah. So. Um, I think last year we were a team that that sort of sat back and defended from the back. And I think that was probably designed that way to, to be a stepping stone to what we're trying to implement this year. So get this structure set up behind the ball rather than trying to do it in the chaos of, of up the ground. Um, so it gave us time to adjust, keeping in mind that we also had a... a a brand new back six really last year didn't we Laverde and Stewart were, you know hadn't played back I think Stewart played a couple of games late in 2020 back there Hind was new to the club Hebble had been playing midfield and um, and moved back for a long time and, and uh, sorry and, and hadn't been in the back line for a long time so he's come back into the back six or seven and, and then Cutler played a fair bit back there too and he hadn't played much footy for us and then we would also use Snelling as an extra midfielder. So we'd have an extra number around the ball applying pressure. So more often than not, we'd have an outnumber and it would allow us when the opposition had the ball to put that pressure on. And then our back six was set up behind the ball, ready to, you know, intercept and, and defend. And And as a result, we, you know, defensively, we weren't bad last year. We got off to a slow start, but we ended up ninth for conceding marks inside 50 and ninth, ninth for points again. So, You know, it wasn't a bad effort given the restructure to our back line. It also meant that our our midfield didn't have to push back too hard because our backs are already set up. So um, our margin for error, I think, if someone was out of position, was a lot smaller. Mm. This year, we've kind of flipped that... Not flipped that it's on its head, but we've moved the the press up the ground. So we're trying to press a lot higher up the ground. And it's what worked really well for West Coast when they won the flag in 2018. Richmond's been doing it, you know, for years now and, and won three flags and and Melbourne similar last year as well. And and it, it does have a greater a much higher margin for error because it relies on on basically everybody on the ground playing their part. So you need your forwards, mids, and backs to all set up. It requires a lot more two way running. It requires a lot more of that instinctive change that you talked about. So turnover don't have the luxury of your back's already sitting back in your back 50 ready to go. Everybody has to get involved. And then it means if the ball gets over the back um, and you're not set up, the opposition have an an outnumber or one-on-ones. And Mm -hmm. we've seen that happen a lot where our defenders have been um, exposed.
1: Well, well, we saw that a lot against Sydney. They were almost... Some of the Sydney players were almost cheating, running forward when we had the ball, knowing that there was a good chance that we were going to turn it over. Uh, So I guess but we have had some really good examples of, a, of a, the ground setup working and you've, you've highlighted a couple, which we will post, uh, I've recorded these, these clips in the game. We'll, we'll post these after the show. Um, so people can sort of watch along with what you're saying.
0: Yeah. I appreciate asking everybody listening to close their eyes and try and imagine back here, but I, I think try not to go back too far. So let's go back to the Hawthorne game. Um, Early in, in the third quarter, Hawthorne had just kicked the first goal of the quarter and um and we won the next clearance and, and we went deep inside fifty from the bounce and, and Granger Barras, one of the young key defenders, marked the ball. And and to an extent the six 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 helps here, right? Because it, it means that in effect we were already set up in some form of structure. But we got into position really quickly and we had 15 players within about a kick and a half of where the ball was. So we were pressed all the way up the ground. And what that did was it forced um, Granger Baras to switch from what, basically one back pocket to the other and meant he didn't have an easy um, exit. So, and then the zone or the press or whatever you want to call it, it came across with the ball and it forced, um, it forced the Hawks to go long down the line. And, and, you know, then there was a bit of a scramble and a bit of a contest and, um, Laverde was left, um, or not left, but he was the deepest man in the zone. And then he made a really quick decision at the back of the, the, um, the zone to, to leave his man, come off him and win the ball at the back of the center square. And and if you think back to that game, the Hawthorne game, you'll probably remember, um, Laverde doing that a few times, either Laverde, um, you know leaving his man win the ball back or heppel intercepting um, and in that example we were able to slingshot parish got the ball behind and and he carried it and we had a shot at goal so yeah there's there a number of examples in that game where it worked really well but it requires eighteen players to be set up really well and um, and requires like it had in that example pressure on the ball as it's coming out and then like La Verde not hesitating when you sort of caught do I or don't I and you've got to make a really quick decision, do I go forward and press like Le Verde did and, and he won the ball or do I stay back on my man and let the ball come to me and at least know that I'm in a position to defend and give myself the best chance of winning a contest? Um, and you know there was a, a one example. I mean there's there's probably more than one, but Durham Durham did that really well in the first quarter again on against the swans from a kick in where even though the Swans got that first kick quickly, we adjusted and he made a a really quick decision to go and press up on Lloyd, forcing down the line. We had an outnumber, Laverde intercepted, we brought the ball forward. So, you know, there's examples there of where it works, but the flip side is it, it really doesn't take much for it to fall apart. And, I guess there's two examples that come to mind. And one's the obvious one the Dylan Shield one last week. We've all seen that where he points to Redman and then he jogs and it just makes it really easy for the Swans to transition, transition the ball. And, and that's all off the back of just one player, not prepared to get into his own position quickly enough, and then not prepared to transition out of it quickly enough. So there's really no excuses to that. But then there's times where it happens where, where you sort of get it and you can understand it. So, Go back a couple of weeks to the dogs, Nick Martin had a shot at goal and he missed. He had Perkins out on his right, who he probably should have handballed to, but you know, Nick Martin's a quality kid, so you probably back him to kick the goal anyway. Um, and instead of these young guys just going, Yeah, stuffed up, get on with it, get in the zone, Martin had his head down, disappointed his miss. Perkins was sort of remonstrating why didn't he give me the ball? And then Stringer, who was, you know, the most experienced player in the area, sort of got to his position in the zone but didn't didn't instruct, didn't tell these young blokes to hey pull your finger out, get into your spot, and and what it meant was the dogs were then able to to get the ball up the ground. McGrath was then stuck in the should I stay, should I go conundrum, and he decided to go, but he went really late. So all that did was draw him up, created another overlap, and then it happens three more times up the ground, and and that's the one if people remember where Waitman ended up about fifteen meters in front of Kelly on the lead, and um and you know thankfully he he missed, but. Yeah, they're young players and they're playing some good footy, but it's an example of where, you know, the game plan's not wrong. It's not broken. It, it works, but young blokes are just going to switch off and make mistakes, and, and we need to accept that. And maybe at times in games our coaches need to be a bit flexible to have a, a plan B where we go, okay, these young blokes are getting rinsed a little bit. Let's simplify things and, and find a different way to stem the flow, and, and that's probably something, um, you know, and, and that might just be as simple as if they get through the first line, then we all roll back. And then everyone just gets back and we sort of do a mini flood and defend and try and win the ball back and go from there. So um and yeah, so I think I think hopefully that gives a little bit of a sense to how we're trying to to defend the ground. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: I mean it's as I, as I said,
0: it's a work in progress with the
1: young the young players. You just you just have to keep drilling into them and, and the older players have to have that buy-in as well. And if they're not buying in, as we saw with with Scheel and, and and what he and what Redmond was going off at him about, you know, it, it really doesn't send the best message to the younger players. Now we were going to go through offense and ball movement as well, but I think we're, we've we've um, spent a lot of time on defense. So I thought what we could do is we could we could park that till next week. Um, hopefully, we'll have some good e- more good examples to talk about with that for next week. But we you know half an hour into the episode, we haven't even got to you know talking about the game ahead. So. Uh, before we do start looking at Richmond and that we obviously with dream time it, it's probably I would say it's as important now as the Anzac day game uh, in terms of into ter- in just in terms of what what it means to both the club and, and to the competition I think it's especially especially since it, it, it went around the last couple of years went to Darwin and then went to uh, went to Perth I think it showed how how big that game is and how important it is for for um, for the Indigenous community, and, and just for everyone else as well, to to demonstrate their appreciation uh, for the Indigenous culture and, and what it's done for the AFL game, we did put out the call to to our listeners and our Twitter followers about who really stood out as their favourite Indigenous uh, Essendon player. There's obviously a lot of a lot of great Indigenous talent that has come through Essendon that, that's made a real big mark on on people. Uh, just a few a few of the key ones, obviously Longy uh, pe- appeared a lot. Uh, Silver Top Hills was the first one to bring up Wanganeen, which was uh, quite appropriate, given that the Fabric Podcast just came out with their interview today with him. So I suggest everyone go give that a listen. Uh, Scott McNeice uh, talked about Ryder, and I think we're all witnessing what he's doing for St Kilda now, and, and sort of wishing that he could still be with us. You know, everyone st- everyone still remembers his his efforts in the Anzac Day game and, and a lot of other really really great performances, and I don't think we ever quite saw the best of him, and so I think that. That sort of hangs around with people. Uh, Josh brought up Shay Cockatoo Collins, which was a big one for me. Uh, again, around that time when I was starting to get into footy, just just watching him in the forward line. Uh, you know, I really, he he really stood out to me. Part of, part of that was the name, but just part, partly the way he played, and you know, just just exciting in the forward line. And then Robert Tinney brought up Dean Rioli, and I think uh, some of you some of you may may know you from the 2000 Grand Final where. Uh, that vision of Dean, obviously quite upset, not having been involved in that in that grand final. You're right there in the background as well. So those of you who've got uh, the 2000 grand final, want to go check that out. You can see a, a young Jono there uh, in the background behind Dean. But you've you've got a bit of story, a few stories about Dean Rioli from from your time watching.
0: Yeah, I, I've got a story about Shay Two Collins as well, but uh, <laughs> um, probably not uh, probably not for this forum. Um, although he, he's genuinely one of the funniest people I've ever met, he could he could tell a joke or tell jokes for hours. He was hilarious. But yeah, we've been we've been really sport with um with the uh, indigenous players that we've had play at the club, and I think you know cre- another credit to Kevin Sheedy who really worked hard to to make us a, a place where these guys could come and play really good footy. Um, so. Yeah, and, and Michael Long was obviously the 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 real one. He he changed the club, he changed the people in it and, and arguably changed the game as well with um with, you know, along with Nicky Widmar and, and made a real strong stance. So, um, you know, Michael Long's a, a pretty incredible human. Uh, and Gavin in was just a freak, wasn't he? He did things that um, you know, we haven't seen since. Um and yeah, my brother brought up Froggy David today as well. He his highlight package was um, significant and yeah, my brother and I always say that if he hadn't have um, hurt his arm or his shoulder um, early on in his career, he, he might have um, been an even better yeah. player. I think that really took the confidence out of him. But yeah, him. Well, we,
1: we are missing him at the moment, given that we're lacking a centre-half forward, given, given some of the roles, <laughs> the role he played towards the latter part yeah. of his career, seemingly the, the main forward target.
0: Yeah, yeah, we, we we made it hard for him at times, didn't we? But yeah, I'm I'm an unashamed um, Dean Rioli fanboy, mate. Um, he was a pretty special footballer and and a really special person as well. He he um yeah he he was incredible. Um, he had skills that that I hadn't seen in my time of Essendon. I think we talk about Mercuri and his foot skills, but I think um, Dean Rioli was was absolutely even better. He had an ability to just wait passes in in all different shapes or sizes he could kick it hard and flat he could kick it around the corner he could kick it soft he he just knew how to to put the ball where it needed to go and I think one of my favorite memories of him was in his first season we played Geelong at the G on a Friday night and and Dan kicked five in the game and and we got off to a fly I think it was a record score first quarter score against Geelong uh we kicked nine in the first quarter and he kicked the our ninth goal, and it was—it sort of—he came from nowhere. It was sort of bobbling around. Everyone was fumbling, and I think it was a bit greasy on the night. And he just sort of came from nowhere. Everyone's treating it like a, a ball—a a ball of soap—and he just picked it up. One grab, snapped it. You know, it wasn't an incredible goal or, or anything, but just the way that he picked it up cleanly when everyone else was fumbling, and everyone in the box just looked at each other and sort of stunned in silence, and then—and then laughter broke out. It was kind of like a realisation that we had someone that was, that was pretty special. And yeah, obviously a shame that, um, that we didn't really get to see the full extended career because, um, yeah, his, his last sort of 40 games or so were were a bit of a chore for him cause his knees got so bad. Um, but it, it wasn't just his skill you know he was great above his head he kicked that goal in the first game at Docklands where the poor player tried to bump him and he just sat him on his ass and kept running and straight and kicked the goal so yeah um, Dean Rioli mate, every day of the week um, but also I, I mean never saw him play obviously but listening to my grandfather talk about Norm Macdonald um, when I was a young bloke um, and and did get to meet him briefly. We There's a mural people have probably seen around Windy Hill um, at the change rooms when we unveiled that. And, and it ended up only being a few months before he passed away. But he's one of the players features, featured in that and, and seeing him in tears at, at the emotion of being considered amongst some of the greats at the club was, um, was really special as well. Absolutely. Moving on, we're going to... Selection for the
1: game and came out uh, came out earlier with uh, Devon Smith and Alec Waterman coming in. So Waterman was the sub from last week and got, got on the field. Uh, and Caldwell is obviously, unfortunately, I think we all saw we all saw his courage there. We really need a, a bit of that, a bit more of that courage and, and and commitment from some of the other players. So hopefully it stands as an example. And Tom Cutler uh, also out. So I, I, a little bit harsh. I think I think Cutler's been pretty serviceable. I don't think he's done that much wrong there. Um, but I
0: think,
1: yeah, I, I think he's...
0: He, yeah, I think he has been pretty good, mate. But I think if you look at it, we just did had With Kelly coming back last week and pushing McGrath and, and Cutler himself out of the back line, it just meant that we had too many wingers inside. We saw Durham playing forward. So Smith and Waterman come in. They're obviously going to play forward. I expect it will mean that Durham moves up to a wing where he, you know, where he plays his best footy and then... Hopefully, it means that we'll see Hobbs and, and maybe Perkins spending a little bit more time in the midfield. Um, I, I suspect McGrath's going to play a bit in there as well. Absolutely. And then for Richmond, they have
1: uh, Nguyen, uh, Pickett, and Bolter out. Bolter's obviously a really big loss given they've got to come up against... He would have been the ideal matchup for Peter Wright. And they've brought in Robbie Tarrant, who's probably going to play that role uh, this time, and then as well as Josh Gibkiss and Shane Edwards, who uh, loves this game probably more than more than any other player the way... Way he lifts for this this game.
0: Yeah, obviously, um, Tarrant comes into fine rights, right. So a bit of a no-brainer with um, with Bolter being injured. So and then Newen and Gibkiss is pretty much like for like, and you know Edwards is you know uh, again like for like in many respects for Pickett. So yeah, not a bad um, little situation when you lose Pickett and Bolter, and you get to bring in Edwards and Tarrant. Absolutely. So let's let's look at Richmond. So they're,
1: they're five and four. They are also five and four at this point of last year, and they ended up fading away last year. The big difference is probably it's probably just comes down to one player. Is is that they had Martin for the start of that that season last year, and obviously he, he didn't play for the back half of last season. Whereas they started this season without him, and they've got him in. So you know when you have a player that good and that influential, the suggestion is that they'll they'll just get better from here. So. You know we're going to be coming up against a team which I I think's on the up. Uh, I'm Not sure whether they're necessarily top four quality anymore, but you know you, their they're experience and and they've got the talent that they're going to be able to run over uh, sides in the bottom half of the eight, which is our bottom half of the, the ladder, which is where we're at now. Um, so ladder position probably fair reflection. They've, they've beaten the Giants, the Bulldogs, uh, West Coast Hawthorne and Collingwood. They've lost to Adelaide. Uh, Melbourne, St Kilda, and Carlton. So the Adelaide loss is probably the one that stands out. there as, as probably an unexpected loss, but the, otherwise they've they've beaten the teams that are, that are below them, and and they've lost to the teams that are above them. So I su- think that suggests that where they're at at the moment is pretty fair. Um, you know, the, the, the thought is, you know, that they've had such a successful period. Is there is there a, a sort of a, a, a feel that they're you know Essendon two thousand two to two thousand and four, you know, still good enough to compete? But, you know, the, the key components are ageing or leading and, and the, that, that causes their depth to be a concern. Uh, the other thing that probably stands out a little bit is in terms of in terms of tackles. They're down 10 tackles on average uh, this year compared to last year. They didn't have 75 last week against Hawthorne, but, you know, they, they made their name being such a hard, pressuring, tackling side. If, if the tackling is starting to drop off, maybe that does suggest that there is, you know, a bit of fall away... You know you, you, when you're so successful, sometimes it's hard to, to continue to get up, uh, you know, year after year, so that's something to look out for. Uh, what are your thoughts? You watched, uh, given your uh family situation, you, you had played a close attention to the, the Richmond Hawthorne
0: game last, last week. What did you notice? Yeah, I, I've watched the game twice, mate. The first time was at the London Tavern in Richmond, which was a bit weird. Um, I I um, ended up heckling a Richmond supporter for cheering um, at the end when uh, they kicked a goal, to Stania kicked one to put them three goals in front. And I asked him, given that we were about 100 metres away from the MCG, if he cared so much why he wasn't sitting in one of the empty 50,000 seats. But um, but yeah, Hawks really challenged them. In, and sort of in typical Hawthorne style, they got out to a 20-odd point lead in the second quarter and Richmond just sort of pegged it back and Hawks came back uh, late in the, the last quarter, but Richmond really, you know, sort of had done enough to kill the game by then. Um, they're fast starters. They're six in the AFL for, for look, four versus against percentage, um, but Hawthorne were able to get a bit of a jump on them. So, um, so yeah, that sort of went against the trend a little bit. And though it wasn't really until Richmond were able to score from midfield stoppages that they started to get themselves back into the game. Um, and, and then on the flip side, Hawthorne were able to put some pressure on them in the midfield and score the other way. So their first five goals all came from turning the ball over in the in the middle third of the ground. Um, whereas, yeah, we, you know, Richmond were really only able to score from from stoppages. So, um, yeah, Richmond really got on top after three quarter time, um, and and probably could have gone out to a much bigger win in the end, really. Um, and, as I mentioned, Hawthorne came back. So, yeah, they're, they're back to their intercepting best. Um, well, close to their intercepting best, I could say. I should say, Um, you know, Vorston's been really important after missing the first four games. So he comes back into the side uh, averaging 10.5 intercepts a game and, and that ranks him number one in the AFL. He, you know, he's been good at that for a long time. Um, and they have other, a number of players that are really good at it. Broad's good at it. Grimes is good at it. And, and Daniel Rioli, um, you know, believe it or not, has really started to add that to his game and, and he's had a good year. Um, so, that yeah, they've been outscoring their opponents by 32 points a game from intercepts over the last sort of four or five weeks, which makes them, yeah, ranks them number one over that period. And then, they you know, we spoke about the press in, in the way we're trying to play they they're back to, to being able to do that as well so again over the last month they they're number one in the AFL for starting chains um, or scoring chains in their forward half so so winning the ball back off their opposition in their own half and and then scoring from it so they they on average outscore their opponents by 28 points from from those so that really strong press is back so yeah we're going to have to be really mindful of that and then you know some of their key players um, you know, Jaden Short's probably one that flies under the radar more than he should, despite being a best and fairest winner. I think he's taken his game to another level. He's had more effective kicks than any other player in the comp. But not just that, there's only five other players in the comp who have more total kicks than he has effective kicks. So he's just a really, really good user. Um, Tom Lynch is in, in hot form and leads the comp for contested marks and obviously leading the common as well. Kicked four, six, and seven the last three weeks. Um the glimmer of hope, and I know we're not a top-eight side, but he's he's kicked his goals. So this could, could go one way or, or the other for us, but he's kicked his, his bags against um, against some of the teams that are down the bottom. Um, when he's played against top-eight sides, um, he's kicked to two, one and two against Carlton, St. Kilda and D. So if we can get some pressure in the midfield and, and our back line can really structure up well, then you know, we stand a chance of being able to control it. Um, Dusty's back. Um, playing and playing good footy. He's had sort of 20-odd disposals the last two games, kick two and kick three in, in those two. Um, eight and 13, center bounce attendances in those two games. So interesting to see whether he's building. So he's gone from eight to 13. Is he going to go 15, 16 this week, or is that sort of where he's at now and what we see going forward? Um, so, yeah, are out, we've obviously spoken about. Rioli's playing some really good footy, 20 disposals a game, giving them a lot of drive and carry. Um, and a couple of good players that are young players that are, are looking impressive too. Um, Morris Jr., kick three against the Eagles. There's um, been goals the last couple of weeks, but we know what Riolis are like on, on a big stage. So we'll have to watch him. And then Josh Gibkes, who was their first pick last year. He's a, a really clean and composed user of the ball. Sort of think, you know, Jordan Ridley when he, you know, a couple of years ago or th- you know two or three years ago when he, he sort of came into the side quite similar to that.
1: Yeah, so obviously obviously a lot of people to, to watch out for and, you know, players players seemingly in good form. So when you you know, when where, where we're where are in such poor form and, you know, poor morale, you know, it's it's gonna be difficult. But, you know, things things can turn around. you know, there's been Essendon's had games where they've got flogged by eighty points one round and they, they have a miracle win uh the next round. I think back to twenty eleven where we got, you know, towed up by Hawthorne and then managed to beat uh, Geelong the next week, you know, even with yep. Joe Watson out. So, you know, anything can happen. And if you, if you come with the right attitude, you can you can compete against any side. So I guess what is what are the things that you're looking for? That, you know, obviously, you know, just a bit more effort, a bit more commitment to to the game plan and, and to supporting your teammates is, is a key thing. But in terms of specific tactics, what are the things that you're looking for?
0: Yeah, so this is the part of the show, I guess, where we, we put our own coaches cap on and, and if we were in charge this is what we would do so um, and it's tempting just to say you know go back to basics because we've been so bad and, and you know just contest and tackle and bump and do all those kind of things but um, you know you sort of hope that given the pressure the club's been under that that would just be given this week so I think um, you know if it was me I'd be keen to see if we can teach an old dog new tricks and I'd get Shield to tag Short so Short kind of plays Different structure of player, but um, he he plays the almost the Snelling role. So and, uh, so last week and and you know most weeks we sort of see him start outside the midfield and then swap once the centre bounces happen. So last week he started forward, for example, it was Kotchian early would start the centre bounce and then they'd swap over. So yeah, I just. It, you know, Short's in really good form. Could it be a way to, to teach Dylan a little bit about what it takes to to, be a, 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 to have a defensive mindset? I think sometimes it's one thing to go and just tell someone you need to chase more, you need to tackle more, you need to do these things but I, I think giving them a job and, and learning by being sort of having to follow someone around the ground can be a really good way to do that. Uh, so yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd send Shield to, to Short and, and do a job on him. Um I'd like to see Ridley on on Lynch. He did the job on Norton. We saw him mark in front of Buddy last week a couple of times as well. And I think let him take the opposition's best tall forward and and just work off him when he can and and use his um, use his ability to read the play. The dusty handover is really important. So um, I certainly wouldn't be having one player on him midfield and forward. I think that's too big an ask. I I think it's really important that we adjust properly. I think you need someone who can take his space at the centre bounce. Um, you know he likes to get on the move and get on the run. So I think, whilst in an ideal world I'd have McGrath in the half back line. We've got Kelly playing this week, so that's not going to happen. So he might McGrath might be the one I think that that takes him at at stoppages. So takes his space at the centre bounce and and then at at stoppages around the ground as well. And then Kelly I think is going to have to pick him up. Um, when he's forward and and maybe laverde at times I think when um, when he plays deep which you know we, we often see dusty trying to get one out so I think if he's playing half forward it's Kelly. if he's playing deep it's it's laverde and, and we just need to get that right I'd have a, a big watch on Shea Bolton at forward stoppages uh, all around the ground but especially in the forward line I don't think it needs to be a dedicated matchup throughout the game but I think whoever has him at the time needs to forget the ball and just just have a close watch on him and then just move the ball forward. Uh, take on the car- corridor. I know a, a bit of a broken record here, but I think just play with the freedom and keep doing it. Make a mistake, do it again. Um, in our two wins, we've scored 15 and 16 goals. We're going to have to kick 100 points to win. So, um, and in those two wins, we, we conceded 99 and 81, although Hawthorne kicked 11-15. So I think if we're not brave with the ball, we're going to lose like we did last week. So just make it a shootout and see how we go. Um, and then... Yeah, hold our forwards deep and force Richmond into one-on-ones, and and that's going to mean uh, we don't, we can't allow their wingers to push back and get loose. So if that means we end up having you know eight playing eight or nine forwards at times, man on man, just don't allow them to have a loose in our back fifty. That's really going to test our defensive structure though, because it's going to mean less, more space in the midfield and less players there. So. Um, we're gonna to have to really get that right, but I think this is a game where we just need to be brave and and have a real crack at it and, and take some um impetus away from the opposition so yeah that that's me mate absolutely well we keep be
1: keeping an eye out for that and seeing seeing what happens and you know whether whether some of that comes through or, or not hopefully there's you know a bit more energy and a bit more a bit more focus and hopefully you know i guess I guess it sort of leads into our our final thought, which we do each week which is you know, given everything that's happened, how do we want to feel out of the game? So, or after the game, so what sort of, what do you want to be your takeaway or
0: how do you want to, how do you want to be feeling following the game, you know, regardless of the result? Yeah, I I just like to feel proud of my footy club again, I think. It, it, um, uh, I don't like honourable losses and I, you know, I'm not saying that I'd accept that, but on paper, Richmond are a much better side, I think, let's be honest, so, you know, they, they're getting somewhere near back to their full strength of uh, their current playing list where we've got still quite a number of guys out. So uh, yeah, I just like to, to walk away from the game, feeling proud of, um, um, of the way we go and uh, the way we've gone about it. And if that means a win, you know, amazing. And, um, you'll find me at the Auburn hotel afterwards celebrating. Um, but if it means it means a loss and we've had a real crack and, and we can see a light at the end of the tunnel, then, um, then yeah, I'll I'll take that as well, mate. What about you? Uh you, you took the words out of my mouth.
1: mouth. You just want to, you just wanted that the players. You want to come off. You want to lead the great game. You know, win, lose or draw, feeling like the players have given everything that given everything that they can. You know, as as we pointed out, they're inexperienced. They're learning a new game style. You know, the results are going to be, the results are almost immaterial. You want to see you know, signs. Of, you want to see signs of improvement, but you also want to see. You know, signs of commitment to, to the to the game plan and commitment to the teammates. You know, that doesn't and that doesn't mean, you know, doing what Lloyd said and bumping blokes and knocking knocking blokes' heads off. You know, it's it's about an attitude, you know, the way that you the way that you approach the game. So that's really what I want to take out of it. You know, I'm gonna be so my uh, family situation, my uh, partner is Richmond, uh, my partner's mother is Richmond, uh, hello Colleen, I know you'll be listening. Um we'll be all, all at the game together, uh it's actually Essendon, so I'm not not going to be on my own. But it, I've, I've been with my partner for five years now, uh, since 2017. Uh, I like to tell her that I was her good luck charm, and that's what got them. <laughs> that's what got them the, the premiership then. Uh, but I haven't I haven't had the uh, opportunity to see Essendon beat Richmond in that time. So you know, I'd, I'd love to have have it happen, but I'm not not counting on it this year. But you know, I just want to be able to walk away from the game feeling like the players have. Given that they're all, you know, and if the result doesn't go their way, the result doesn't go their way. But as long as it's, if they show something, then I'll, I'll take I'll take that away and be content, if not happy.
0: Yeah, no, spot on, mate. I completely agree. And uh, just before we wrap up, it, I've been a, a bit of a long one tonight. So thanks to everyone who stuck with us this far. Um, I just did want to thank everybody who. Uh, a has reached out to, to either one of us and, and um, given us feedback and, and compliments on, on the pod. It's been great to see. And, um, and also thanks to everyone who, who shouted out and sent me a message for my birthday during the week. Um, yeah, there, there's something quite uh, special about the Bomber family when there's things like that on. So, yeah, thanks, guys. That was um, really appreciated. So, yeah, thanks again, everyone. Thanks, Yumi. Good fun as always. Um, hopefully, we, you know, there's some bright lights around the corner for us and, and we can... Get back to to being proud of our footy club. Absolutely, thanks everyone.
1: Enjoy enjoy the rest of the week, and uh, good luck for Saturday, everyone. Hopefully, we we can come back in a in a good mood next week.
0: We'll see, you, mate. Go, Dons. Go, Dons.